Hi, this is Chris Taylor, and my recommendation is the SpyCast. The host is Peter Ernest, and the website location is thespymuseum.org. Most of the shows are 20 minutes to an hour long. Shows are weekly, give or take, depend upon the, uh, the subjects that's going on. And why I like it is because they talk to people that are in the spy industry that in the previous uh, most of them are retired CIA or KGB or British intelligence. So give it a listen and see what you think. Welcome to episode 11 of Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Josh. I'm Joel, and we are always listening. As you heard in the intro to this week's show, or this episode of the show, I should say, uh, we are always listening to the SpyCast podcast. That's the podcast that's under review today. And as mentioned by Chris in the intro, you can find more at spymuseum.org. That's the website. Let's get right into it, though. You've already gotten the, the stats from... Uh, Chris, and I appreciate him sending that in. But let's talk about the host likability. And, and you and I were just talking off the air here, Josh. Vince Houghton and Peter Ernest are the two main hosts, but there are some other voices that you occasionally hear if yeah. you listen to every episode. Yeah, yeah. Peter is my favorite, but I think that could simply be because I like his intro the best. And he's very, he, he, it fit whenever I'm listening to an episode from him. I imagine that I feel like, you know, people felt like getting the news from Walter Cronkite. Well, you know, I mean, he brings a lot of gravitas to the show. So Peter Ernest is the guy that we're talking about there. He's the executive director of the International Spy Museum. He was in the CIA for 36 years, included more than 20 years in the agency's clandestine service. He's a member of the CIA's Senior Intelligence Service. He was awarded the agency's Intelligence Medal of Merit uh, for superior performance throughout his career. I mean, this is a guy that knows what he's talking about. And so he brings a lot to the conversations. I, I actually enjoyed Vince's episodes a little bit more. I think that Vince is a little bit more personable <laughs> and he's a, little <laughs> bit, he's a little bit better host. Maybe, maybe. But let me ask you this. Who was the first one you listened to? Did you listen to a Vince episode first or a Peter episode first? You know, it's hard for me to remember because I have listened to so many of them now. But I think the first one I listened to was a Peter episode, which is where I – it was that episode that I came to you with the – description of this show is dense or, or you know, it's, it was a little heavy. It's got a lot of stuff in it. And in particular, his episodes, even they don't seem so much a conversation as they do an interrogation, <laughs> you know, whereas uh, Vince's episodes, they flow a little bit more freely, I think. Well, here was kind of my, cause I, cause I thought about this and, and, and whenever I thought about host likability, I, I leaned toward Peter and I felt that maybe the reason I leaned toward Peter is because he uh, like I think I listened to two Peter episodes before I listened to a Vince episode, and then I thought about TLDR, which is a podcast we've reviewed in the past. And one of the things we discussed on that episode was that the two original guys uh, had moved over to do Reply All, and the podcast kept going, but with a new host and. You mentioned that a lot of the new people or a lot of the people didn't really care for the new host. And I think that's because with podcasts, them being, you know, fairly intimate, right? You listen when you're alone, mostly, right? It's going straight into your ears. 
that you form that connection with a host. And generally, people don't like change. So I thought that that could be the pure and simple reason of why I, I tended to lean toward Peter instead of Vince. I can see that. Yeah, you sort of get used to one voice. You think this is what the show is, and when there's a drastic change, maybe it's it's um, like even subconsciously slightly upsetting for you. Yeah, and as un- and as unfair as that sounds, I mean, it doesn't make it any less true. Yes, no, I agree. Okay, so let's talk about production values. How do they put this show together? Um, you you actually have commented already in our sort of Texas uh, text message back and forth about the the theme song. You like the intro to this show. I like Peter's intro. <laughs> there, as a matter of fact, here, we'll, why, don't, why don't we just play that one? We'll give you that one right now. Hello, and welcome to SpyCast from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. Okay, so so what do you like so much about that, Josh, as compared to Vince's? It so you so the first impression I have is because before I've listened to a single episode, you're already like, oh, it's so dense and it's just I don't know. Uh, and then whenever I, I hear Peter's intro. It reminds me a lot of like Get Smart. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, so it kind of lightens it up. Uh, I think it's a fu- I think it's a fun intro, and it's very fitting for the show. I think especially the combination of that music, the sort of lighthearted uh, sound of that combined well, with and Peter, Peter's voice with it is great. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Peter is a serious dude, and he comes off even in that intro as a serious dude. He's he's maybe talking about frivolity there, but it's. I, I am I am very serious and have weight behind my voice. See, that's I, it. That's, I, I disagree. I disagree. Really? I, I think, yes, I think that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. He purposefully had to have made it sound like Get Smart, to have that feel. Sure. Had to have. Get Smart is not a serious show. Well, I think there's strains of, like, the Mission Impossible theme as well, like, a little bit. Like, I don't think necessarily he was – I think he might have just been uh, trying to evoke – spies period as opposed to specifically the get smart tv series okay and and we'll disagree on this because why would you try to invoke spies by talking about pop culture in a show where oftentimes the discussion is where pop culture and fantasy leads off and where the rubber actually meets the role in spycraft Okay, fair enough, fair enough, good point. All right, so, but other than that, there really aren't any uh, other production values. I mean, they don't, they're, they're no, not no, sounders or rappers. Yeah, it's just right. it's just the conversations, many of them from the, their live events where they actually have, uh, you know, authors or uh, important figures in the world of espionage in or the Robert location. Or Robert De Niro. Yeah, or Robert De Niro as well, yeah. <laughs> um, so the, what about the audio quality then? Since some of these are recorded live, I would say it's not the best recorded or produced podcast we've ever reviewed, but it's perfectly fine. I didn't have any episodes that I had an issue with audio wise. No, not an issue at all. Yeah. I mean, it's not, um, you know, there are shows that you listen to where the audio quality is really something to recommend it. This is not one of those, but it's also not a problem at all. So that takes us to the content and that's where we really need to talk about. So this is a show obviously about spies, about espionage, about spy work, about the tools of spying, uh, as well as the history of spying. 
And it was suggested to us when we were reviewing the James Bonding podcast. Um, and, and so that's one of the reasons why it ended up on the list here. But I think since we so recently had that in our rearview mirror, I think this is a great time for us to listen to it too. I don't know about you, but I uh, enjoyed thoroughly like the juxtaposing the real with what we had just um, sort of taken in a little bit, the, the fantastical. Oh, yeah. And they often um, – well – so yeah, especially with the James Bonding episode, that may be what drew me to listen to the British intelligence episode because I found I found like I found a lot of knowledge in that particular episode. For example, you know what? I'll go ahead and just let them explain it to you right here. In my country, the United Kingdom, we've traditionally had intelligence services that are entirely civilian. MI5 and MI6 have got no police powers, they've got no military powers. They are entirely civilian and their job is to gather intelligence, pure and simple, and particularly with MI5, to gather prior intelligence to try and prevent whatever harm is threatening the country, whether it's espionage as it was mainly in the Cold War or terrorism as it is now. And the way they do that, as I say, is by intelligence gathering and analysis and assessment and then in my country it's the police who have to take the action on the intelligence and that's fundamentally different from the arrangement that exists at present in the united states oh i love i love that soundbite especially as i'll admit it as a liberal in the united states i'm like you see you see even the british understand <laughs> well i didn't dude i i don't know if that's just you know, uh, a show of my ignorance. I I didn't have a clue that MI5 or MI6, they, that it was civilian, that they didn't have authority to arrest. I, I which, truthfully didn't know which that goes, either. Which really does go against what we have here. Like, you know the FBI can arrest you, can detain you, can do all of those things. Not only can they, they can make you disappear. <laughs> like, I mean, and, and often do. Like, you know, there's, there's much less oversight, I feel like, uh, as far as the way that they process suspects or potential criminals for the FBI, for the CIA, for the Secret Service, for instance, the way that they're allowed to do their investigations. You know, it's a whole different level from what just your average cop is allowed to do. Yeah, but it also, it also uh, let me view James Bond a little differently, like... <laughs> Yeah, he only has two options. Either he's got to kill you or he's going to run away. Like, yeah, pretty like that. He's got a license it. to kill, but he can't arrest you. <laughs> right, right. That's something they don't really uh, they they don't really bring up in the in the James Bond movies. I don't think you you talk about though the the little tidbits of of knowledge that you gain. Uh, in particular, a couple of episodes that I'll suggest to you uh, if you want to try this show out. And and I don't have a particular moment from the episode because the whole episode was really good uh, to recommend here. But the two that I enjoyed tremendously was the episode about the billion dollar spy. I think that is the, the title of the episode. Um, it's also the title of a book. Uh, it's all about this long-term uh, double agent that the CIA had as a, as an operative during the Cold War. This guy was their first agent live in Moscow. He was inside the Russian government. He was working as an engineer, and he is effectively like single-handedly responsible for everything we know about their radar capabilities and their their sensors for detecting airplanes and for missiles, et cetera, et cetera. So. Everything that we've done in the military since, let's say, you know, the late 60s or the early 70s when this guy was first activated and the information began pouring in, 
all of our military technology is directly linked back to the the information that he gave us about the Russians, and so we were engineering ahead of what they were capable of, and it effectively gave the American military like a ten year lead on the Russians. It was it's really like once you hear it explained like that, it's 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 massively um, impressive, especially when you consider the fact that this guy didn't get a dime in the end. Like there was his money was put in a um, in an account and in, in a you know a safety valve for him over the years, and when he was found out by the Russian government and and killed eventually, that didn't go to him or his wife. Uh, and then his son was eventually offered the money by the CIA, but he didn't want it at that point. He said, "No, I don't." You know, I, I, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. But anyway, I fascinating don't want this story. Blood money. Yeah, pretty much fascinating story. That one, and then the, there was an episode. And I believe uh, Peter was the host on this one where they talked about the 100-year plan for the Chinese government to replace the American government as the major world power. Not just militarily, but economically and um, you know, as far as an ambassador or a world leader uh, politically, all of that stuff. The Chinese government has been working on this since the 1940s, I think, pretty much. And... It's sort of an open secret. Like a lot of people know about it now, especially since there have been books written about it. But it, this has framed both how the Chinese government has interacted with us and how we have interacted with them ever since it was first put into place. So that was a really interesting episode, too. There's just so much information in here if you're at all interested in how the business of intelligence works. Yeah, I could have pulled, I literally could have pulled a soundbite or three from every episode that I listened to. For example, I didn't pull one from the episode on polygraphs. Ah, now see, that is the, literally the next episode that I have loaded up from this show. I haven't listened to that one, but I've got it ready. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because there was, in particular, one event that kind of um, that kind of just crushed that that branch of the agency. I mean, it was a huge failure. They took a black eye that still hasn't healed when a uh, Russian spy or a guy who turned to the Russians went through two polygraphs, passed them. They never knew he was a spy. So that's kind of bananas. And then the cool thing is, is the guy that that's being interviewed has done more polygraphs than, than anyone in the, in the history of the agency. Right. And he didn't try to make excuses. He didn't try to say, Oh, this is why, or it's not our fault. Um, he just kind of explained how polygraphs work and the importance of the tester being able to answer the right questions or not have a relationship with the person they're they're interviewing and things like that, which was really cool. Um, there are just so many good things in this podcast. I, I really I, – I, I just want to say go and check it out. Again, if you're at all interested in spycraft or espionage or the business of intelligence or the way it connects to pop culture, because there's several good episodes about that as well. Like, hey, here's – let's talk about James Bond and then let's talk about what it has uh, in relation to truth and what isn't so uh, true, you know, as far as the intelligence community goes. Yeah, I also liked uh, – because, it, you know, it's like if they're putting it out in a podcast – Right, like if they're putting this information out to the public, you'd probably worry that you're going to get a lot of fluff, or you're going to get a lot of, um, you know, stuff that's not important or not serious. Because I think that's how we like to romanticize, you know, the agencies that are in charge of of spying and espionage. And so often you hear, and I like, 
if I had the time, I would have made a super clip of everybody saying, I can't speak on that, or that's all I'm going to say, or let me put it this way, or we're not going to talk about that. But what's great is you'll get uh, you'll get a piece like this, um, and they're talking about uh, the history of disguise, which was actually really cool, really really cool episode. But you see often, especially in Mission, Mission Impossible movies, where Tom Cruise just rips the mask off and now he's Tom Cruise again, but before he looked like this elderly old man or whatever, right? And it and it happens in the blink of an eye. And the guy talks about like, yeah, but Hollywood also spends hours of doing that. They also have lighting to help them and different things to help them uh, accomplish that. Uh, and then he follows that up with this right here. Our requirement was to do it in five or ten seconds without any assist the case officers in the dark car and he has to put it on and, and adjust it it has to look exactly right and then when he takes it off he's got to look exactly like he did before I can't tell you whether we accomplished it all I can tell you is a chief of disguise who came after me who is known as John Mendez my wife wore a disguise to the White House to the Oval Office because the, the director of the CIA wanted to show the president how far we had come. She wore that disguise into the Oval Office, and nobody, including the president, knew except for the director of CIA, Judge Webster. And when she took it off, those who were not p paying particular attention fell off their chair. So we may have achieved it, but I can't really, I couldn't comment any more than that. Okay, Joel, so from that, do you get the feeling that they, that, that, that is something they can do. Yes, yes, absolutely. That was that guy's uh, um, language-approved way of bragging without bragging. That's that's what we call a spy humble brag, right there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you that's what you kind of kind of get out of it. Now, I think the catch is how long it may take. Like we don't know how how quickly they can do it. Maybe they haven't gotten it down to happen in you know two minutes or less. But they are able to use makeup effectively like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, that uh, sort of brings us to our don't miss moments, uh, as you've already given a, a couple of great clips. But I think that one was was definitely your favorite of the, the uh, bits that you came across. Here's mine, Josh. It's in the Church of Spies episode. It's one of the more recent episodes. And they're talking about Pope Pius during you know, Hitler's rise to power and the way that he interacted with um, Germany, that he interacted with the rest of the Axis powers and ally powers, and then sort of his historical record, which is not very good. And the general public's perception, the Catholic Church and Pope Pius specifically, did very little to stem the genocide, you know, that was going on during the Holocaust in Germany, especially on the Jewish people, but but all of the minorities that were being either um, exiled or killed summarily. Um, so there's a lot of really good stuff in this whole episode. A lot of things that I did not know or had not thought about as far as the nature of the Catholic Church and the fact that they've been intelligence gatherers since their very foundation. And the, the nature of the work for a priest makes them 
sort of perfect as a intelligence gatherer. You know, if you think about even you know the very oh, can, that that makes me very weary of confession now. I know. Well, I know, right? But but if you think about it, like. They especially, not so much for confession, but the very idea that they are held to a higher level of secrecy. Like they already know how to keep secrets and they know how to to not blab everything that they hear. But they are also in the rooms of power um, with good reason and would have been all throughout history. You know, so this is an interesting. I don't, I don't think that's. I don't think that's an episode I'm going to listen to. I don't want <laughs> it to just know. make you too nervous, huh? But well, listen yeah. to this then. It's a really cool, uh, and this is a little bit longer section than I normally give. But I thought it was uh, good to explain it fully. And he makes a great point about the both the good sides of Pope Pius and and the not so great sides of the Church in general and and Pius in particular. So check this out. So I believe the records show that Pius XII felt he was in a position where he had to choose between souls and lives. And that was a very difficult position for him. And eventually, when he was presented with the option of getting rid of Hitler, he saw this as a way of cutting the Gordian knot and being able to save souls and lives both. That's number one. Number two is that once he made this decision and he was involved with the German resistance and he was in bed with them, the German resistance themselves and I show this in the book through documents I was able to find in the Franklin Roosevelt Library in Hyde Park, the German resistance themselves, the people trying to kill Hitler, asked Pius XII not to speak out because they did not want dissident elements, resistance elements, people who already were of suspect loyalties and were just managing to stay one step ahead of the Gestapo. They didn't want themselves to come under scrutiny, to be arrested, to be immobilized, to lose their freedom of action against Hitler. So we know, we can, we can see how the Pope changed the text of his October 1939 encyclical in which he did defend Judaism and he did come pretty close to, in a lot of ways defending racism. But we know by looking at the drafts of these, this encyclical that he began dialing back his language that could be interpreted as directly pertaining to Germany. And he only did this once he was in touch with the German resistance. We can see it day by day. On the 16th, he made contact with the resistance. On the 17th, he began dialing back and um, modulating his criticism of Hitler. So the correlation is very strong. And I would just uh, encourage people to read my book as a kind of corrective to a lot of the literature which says that you know he was Hitler's pope, Pius XII. Uh, I think, if anything, because he was willing to work with um, Allied governments and with uh, Hitler's enemies, he and he warned uh, the Allies about Hitler's plans to invade not only Western Europe, but he gave them uh, indications and warning intelligence about Hitler's plans to invade Russia. He was more Churchill's pope or even Roosevelt's pope. But then, at that point, I think we have to stop. We have to say, look, this doesn't mean he was Anne Frank's pope. Okay, he was uh, he tried to be the pope of all the Catholics. I think it's a later development that the pope thought he had to be the pope for everyone else in the world, including non-Catholics, including Protestants, including Jews. That's something that comes in the 60s. And that's, I think, a great summation of it. So so no, he wasn't Hitler's pope, as he's often been sort of slanderized. And he did a lot for the side of the allies. He did a lot for the Americans, for the Brits, um, for the French. He did a lot for the German people under subjugation under Hitler, but he didn't do perhaps enough as much as he or the church or we as modern, um, you know, judges of this historical uh, period. He didn't do as much as we might have liked him to do specifically for the Jews. I love that line. Let's be clear. He wasn't Anne Frank's pope. Um, And it also... (laughs) 
That is a wonderful line. Yeah. Well, and he, it, it, but it goes to show you how the modern church, and specifically if you look at what um, Pope Francis is doing now as far as his you know, sort of welcoming stance and how he's been engaging other religions and other cultures and other peoples, um, I think it's directly in relation to what the church saw as, as their shortcomings at the time. Maybe they felt like that was the way they were supposed to go, but it seems like there was a reaction in the church to become more a a leader of moral good for the whole world, not specifically just for the Catholic Church and, and for Catholics. So anyway, cool stuff. And, and even more than just the world of spying they were uh, touched on in that episode. That was my favorite moment. Yeah, I think my, my favorite I think my favorite thing about this podcast is, you know, we we often talk about how relevant is an episode going to be three weeks from its from its release date. Yeah. And this podcast is truly it truly has an archival nature you can go all the way back to an episode in 2006 and it's still to you new and relevant and interesting yeah absolutely and it will be next year and it will be in 10 years and in 20 years you know these are good conversations and good information regardless of when you're coming to them and it makes me really excited to see Think about the time frame for all of these people. Generally, they're retired members of the intelligence services, and so they're generally talking about things that happened in the 60s, the 70s, maybe the early 80s or earlier. In our lifetimes, we're going to hear some of these same conversations about 9-11, about you know, the Afghani war, about the war in Iraq, uh, or the second one, I should say. You know, All of these current activities that are going on around the world, we're going to get these behind-the-scenes or some of these behind-the-scenes conversations as as stories you know, like these continue, and and it's cool because you you know they mention it throughout like you 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 get to really see the juxtaposition between the Cold War and espionage back in the seventies and eighties, right alongside you know the new threat of terrorism. Yeah, it's it's wow. I just I'm, the more I think about it, I just want to go listen to another episode. <laughs> so that I know it's a good show. So that it's gets us show. to this. Are you going to keep listening to this, Josh? Yeah, it may not be. There is. There is some truth when you say it's dense, only because I don't know a better word to, to, to use. I'm sure our listeners will email or, or post on our Facebook page or send us a tweet with a much better word than that. But it's not, it's not going to be one that I really listen to every time they release an episode. But it's a really good one to have when I've binged on something that's really frivolous and, and sugary sweet to really get that taste of my ma- out of my mouth and and um, and r- kind of refocus my my podcast library. I agree. And that's exactly how I'm going to use it too. I don't know that I'll sub- stay subscribed and get every episode, but I will listen to many, if not all of these eventually. It's one that I'll go to yeah, from time true. to time. Every couple of weeks, yeah. I'll check out an episode at least. All right, let's get to listener feedback here. This is from Sean Wright. He wrote in on our Facebook page, uh, sent us a message. He says, "Dude, I'm so disappointed. So I submitted this. Re- yeah, I submitted this request in April. I'm. T- this is right after we announced the shows that we're doing for Listener Appreciation Month." Uh, he said, I submitted this request in April. I'm totally flying the flag for caustic soda. Uh, this is a show, by the way, Josh. Um, he's not the only one that suggested to this uh, this show to us, actually. Sean Wright and I can't remember, but it's a girl uh, that suggested it originally and put it on the list. Um, caustic Soda. It's such an interesting, bizarre, and funny podcast. 
Also, you are missing out on Answer Me This. They are both foreign podcasts, so it's a nice bit of diversity. Other than lore, which I love, the rest pale to my submissions. All right. Um, so, so here's, here's what I, w- I will note. Answer Me This, uh, which I did not have on the list yet, and uh, Caustic Soda, which is already on the list. Both of those have been marked. We'll try to get to them, if not in December, then early after uh, Listener Appreciation Month, Sean. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get to both of those, as a matter of fact. Um, but we've got a lot. We've got a lot of, uh, of listeners' submissions. As a matter of fact, I was looking maybe, at the list. Maybe... Seeing seeing how highly he speaks of one of those, uh, maybe that can be a gift uh, we will open uh, during the Christmas time. There you go. That's I was actually thinking about that today. I might uh, we might do um, like all podcasters submitted shows or something in the month of December and give gifts to them. But we'll we'll figure that out. It'll be coming up soon, Sean. I promise to I promise you we'll get to it. Uh, Josh, I was looking at the list today though. We are over a hundred and twenty. Uh, listener submitted podcasts now. Now that counts the ones that we've already covered. So a lot of those we've gotten to, but if you look at the whole list, 120 different submissions from listeners um, so far, I'm, I really appreciate that. And, and thank every one of you who sent one in there. It's cool finding stuff without having to search so hard for it. Yeah. Just, just think about that. Like if we did nothing but listener submitted shows, right? Yes. That's over two years of work. Yeah, yeah, just those. Uh, yeah, it's a lot, man. It's a lot of stuff to get to. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so we also got a new review that I wanted to mention. We've been reading uh, our reviews recently. This comes from uh, TTSCC fan, 1874. I don't know. TTSCC, is that Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles? That's the only thing I can find with those initials. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like that's an old show. That's like from 2008. But good on you, man. It's uh, Good on you for hanging tough. Uh, anyway, this person writes in and says, Thank you for the recommendation. Lore is fantastic. It is recommendations like this that I listen to your show for. Um, thank you. That's that. It's shows like that that we do this show for to uh, help bring you wonderful, wonderful podcasts just like Lore and like this one, Spycast Podcast. Really enjoyed this one today as well. Yeah. It, yes. Yes. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and the best part is they're they're easy to consume because they're thirty minutes or less. Uh, well, no, some of them are. Now, there there are episodes of the Spycast podcast that go just over an hour, but even those, it was a very, it felt like it was over much shorter than that. Like the um, the episode about the Catholics and and specifically about Pope Pius's uh, war on Hitler. Um, I think that was like an hour and five minutes, an hour and six minutes, something like that. But it flows. I mean, and you're just you're at the end of it all of a sudden, and and you're like, where's the rest of my? I want more, you know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if you have more questions, we would love to hear them. You can email us uh, to alwayslistingpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Always Listening. Uh, or you can, uh, how else can you say? Well, no, those are the ways to get us, as a matter of fact. Those are the best ways to get us. Um, you need to come back, though, next Monday. We're going to have another episode of the show up as we continue to review uh, two podcasts a week throughout the month of November for Listener Appreciation Month. Next on the docket, we're going to be talking about The Verge Cast. It's a technology show from TheVerge.com. And um, I, we've both been, well, you haven't listened to it yet, have you? I have been pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I, my, 
I'm a verge in. Oh, nice. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. We like those. <laughs> all right. After the verge cast, then we're going to be talking about DBSA, Dear Bitches, Smart Authors podcast. It's all about romance novels and the uh, people behind them. I've started listening to that one, too, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And then we got a lot more coming. We've got a review of the No Sleep podcast. We've got a review of uh, The Thinking Atheist, and then we've got a review of Harland Highway and Spontaneation with Paul F. Tompkins. All of that coming in this, your Listener Appreciation Month. Uh, You got anything else to add, Josh? Nope, I'm good. All right, man. Uh, Thank you for listening to this episode, and until we talk to you again, we've been your hosts. I'm Josh. I'm Joel, and we are always listening. Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find more great reviews and our full list of episodes by searching for Always Listening in iTunes or Stitcher, or go to blogtalkradio.com slash always listening pod. Find us on Facebook and Twitter as well, Always Listening Pod, and email the show always listening pod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Enough by Bethany Raber. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.